Welcome to the Fisher's Second Ward Podcast. This is a podcast to help members of the Fisher's Second Ward of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints get to know their neighbors in the ward. The ideas and thoughts that we share aren't necessarily a reflection of the official doctrines of the church. We just hope to strengthen our friendships and our faith by sharing our stories. Thanks for listening, and let me introduce you to a member of the ward. And first of all, let me introduce you to myself. My name is Ken Williams. I know most people may not care. <laughs> But I'm the one with the equipment, and I have with me Jeff French. Ooh, yes. <laughs> Jeff is the guinea pig. Yes. This is something that we started talking about a couple weeks ago, about uh, what if we did a ward podcast? What if we had a way to introduce people to members of the ward at their own convenience? Right. And so uh, when I texted Jeff, was it yesterday <laughs> or the I day before? I, my dates get all mixed up. Um, Working nights will do that to you, Ken. <laughs> That's true. I said, Jeff... Uh, you want to chat? And he said, sure. So, no, this is, I, I think here. this is awesome. <laughs> I think the idea is fantastic. It is an opportunity. So, so I, I don't mean to jump in here, <laughs> jump but, in. jump away. But, but, you know, being a Latter day Saint, being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, a Latter day Saint, everybody has a story. Right. And I think I may have mentioned to you in the past. When Marcia and my wife Marcia and I were in the Philippines, mm-hmm. one of the first things that somebody said to me when we got there, we were serving a mission for the church at that time. One of the things that somebody said to me at first was, we'll have to talk and I want to get to know your story. Yeah. And, and that's really the first time that it hit me right. that, you know, this is kind of everybody has their own story. Everybody's coming from a different perspective. Right. No matter where you are, in the church, out of the church, whatever the case might be, everybody has their own story. So I think this is fantastic. So in fact, I, st- I started my own podcast uh, just over a year ago, and I went through several different ideas. One of the ideas that I had was it, the podcast name was going to be uh, Tell Me Your Story. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to meet people, right? and it would just be really one question that I'd start with. So tell me your story, because everybody's going to have a different idea of what that means and a different starting point and a different ending point and a different path, a different journey. And it was just, the idea was fascinating. And so this is really close to that idea. And so I'm super excited to be part of that. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> I, I think it is. It, it is. It gives an opportunity for people to express themselves, to tell us where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. From a Latter-day Saint perspective, everybody comes from a different background, different family backgrounds, right. everything like that. And it is exciting to see that and to know somebody's story, to get to li- know them a little bit more in depth. Right. And I think there's something unique about getting to know somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just got done... I showered. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah I <laughs> showered today. Best. So I, I mowed the lawn earlier this morning. I just got done refereeing a soccer game for my grandson. But one of the things that the, the league had kind of emphasized was get to know your players' names. And it's very important because that shows respect for them as well. But it's also like when somebody hears their name, yeah. it's like, oh, they know who I am. Super uh, important. It, it, absolutely. Absolutely important. So... This is an opportunity for people to get to know their name and in doing so, get to know them more in depth and to see that story. Right. So I'll just let you know an experience that I've had, uh, and then we'll get into actually getting to know you a little bit. 
But uh, so my, I've done my podcast for about a year. And the thing that's really interesting is you'll share things, you'll share stories or things as we talk here. And then people that you have never met before or people that you've never talked to before will come up and say, so that was so cool that you did this or that you had this experience. And you'll search your memory. How do, how do you know about this? And then it'll hit you. Oh, you've listened to the podcast. Mm -hmm. So, and that's, it's a lot of fun. I had a time where somebody that I did not recognize came up to me after a priesthood meeting and said, so where's my chocolate cake? <laughs> I say that every week, eh? as well, long as my dog doesn't have it, right? <laughs> that's right. I try to take care of you. So callings are not identities, but um, because of your calling, that's one of the reasons that I thought would, it would be a good uh, starting point. What is your calling in the ward right now? So my calling is I'm the wingman for the bishop. <laughs> that's right. So that's not the official title, but that's what I work with. Somebody asked me, no, I'm just kidding. So I'm the executive secretary. My, my task is to help the bishop be organized. Mm -hmm. He has certain responsibilities he has to take care of. Right. In our church, in our church, the the role of a bishop, and that's who I support, is the bishop mm -hmm. and his counselors. And what I do is I line up interviews for him. I take a look at reports and see if um, things are expiring. And I'll say, okay, you need to meet with this person and talk to them. If somebody wants to meet with a bishop, I'm I'm that gatekeeper per se for him to do that. Our bishop. Most people might not know this, but I'm a Reformed Catholic, so that's part of my story, so I'll just throw that out there right now. But um, our bishop, our leaders within the congregation are all lay leaders. Mm -hmm. They do not get paid. And in, in our case, the Sometimes bishop— Sometimes in chocolate cake, but that's yes, a whole different— <laughs> Yes, that's in a sweet tooth, and then the dentists end up getting <laughs> part right. of that as well. But— our bishop is a physician. Mm -hmm. He's an ER physician, and so he's got a very busy life. He's also got a young family, mm -hmm. so he stays very busy. The role of a bishop within a congregation, if can take up many hours during the week, and my job is to help him be organized and try to make sure he gets home as often as right. he can. <laughs> That's, I want to stay on the good side of Kim James. That's what That's I want right. to stay on the good side of Kim James. So, That's right. so, so hopefully that's, we'll get to know the bishop and, and his family a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, well. I, absolutely, absolutely. So that's kind of, so what I do is I make those arrangements. I, um, I make agendas. We have meetings every Sunday. Uh, when the bishop is interviewing people, I normally will be at the building as well. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that there is, um, we d with, uh, the, mm. we, it helps to keep the flow and, and yes. sometimes he can get backed uh, up, backed up. And, and so to remind him to stay focused and to make sure that there's somebody there just kind of to help support him. Yeah. And, and, and that's, it is very important because the, um, you know, it's everybody, so I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. So when, when I joined the church 40-some years ago, uh, the emphasis was the bishop carried a lot of the load in the congregation. Yeah. That's not the way it was supposed to be. In fact, when I joined the church, you know, when I was taught, mm -hmm. it was kind of discussed. I, you know, the elders quorum president at that time, you know, some things were being pushed off to the elders quorum president. But culturally, mm -hmm. within the church, there has been 
over time, the, the weight, the burden of the ward has been placed on the bishop. Yeah. And that is his primary role is to work with the youth. Mm-hmm. And that has kind of gotten away. And so my job is to make sure he's focused on the youth. Yeah. And so there are occasions um, where I may say to the bishop, perhaps, you know, this is something that somebody else can take care of. This mm-hmm. is something that perhaps you shouldn't be putting on your shoulders. Right. And there are times when Bishop James has come to me and has said, Maybe I shouldn't have done that, and maybe I should have passed that one off. But that's a learning curve. It's, you know, again, we're not a paid clergy. Mm-hmm. There's no school to go to as far as how to become a bishop or how to become an executive secretary. Right. You're thrown into the, you're, you're called into this role, <laughs> and through prayer and hopefully from some guidance from Heavenly Father, the spirits, and, and other people who might be able to support you, you kind of trudge along in that yeah. route. Well, you've said a couple of things that I want to I want to dig into. So let's get to know you a little bit. Okay. You said forty years ish ago you joined the church. How did you come across the church? Um. Oh, okay. So how That's much? A long time ago. Maybe you don't remember. <laughs> so yeah. So I am sixty three years old, and so that kind of gives you an idea. I was in my twenties. I was in the navy. Okay. Um, hindsight is always. Should I say always 2020? But I, I think in my case, it's 2020. I could see how the Lord was positioning me into places. Mm. Um, I I saw members of the church. Mm-hmm. I had friends in high school who were members of the church. I didn't know they were members of the church. I grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, a Latter-day Saint and a Catholic, what's the difference, right? right. You know, a lot of kids. Yeah, I mean, a lot of kids, that's right. right. But you guys, I didn't know anything about the Word of Wisdom. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about, um, you know, the, the the idiosyncrasies of the church and stuff like that. I had no preconceived notions, so I had no biases towards the church. Uh-huh. And so I came into it... Being raised Catholic, I always thought that it seemed odd to me that it, it's interesting that we're also studying the Old Testament right now, but that in the Bible, you know, you had prophets from the time of Adam all the way up to the Savior, mm-hmm. you know, giving instruction and helping the children of Israel along that path. Right. And it seemed odd to me that at some point that stopped. It seemed like Jesus Christ came mm-hmm. and no more prophets. Right. What, what happened to them? And, and as I, as I, my familiarity with the new Testament, it was like, well, Peter was, you know, Peter had a lot of responsibility and things like that. And mm-hmm. and then also, you know, when Judas betrayed the savior, well, Judas ended up committing suicide and, but the apostles replaced him with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So there was a flow going on, and I'm wondering why did not continue to do so. So I had some questions about that. And so it's really interesting. The guy that kind of started getting me to think about it, his name was Petty Officer McDonald. He was a lab technician waiting for school. Mm-hmm. And so speaking of hindsight, I had, I had a pilonidal cyst, and that is a cyst on your tailbone, that sounds like fun. <laughs> no, it was not fun at all. In fact, but but what it ended up doing, I was supposed to start a training class in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And the weekend I was, before that Monday I started, I ended up going to the emergency room and I had to have emergency surgery to have it removed. Ouch. 
oh yeah, they take a big chunk out of part of your body that you yeah. don't like to see missing. Uh. And um, but during my recovery process, Petty Officer McDonald was like my supervisor. Mm -hmm. So, um, and he was a member of the church. I didn't know anything about it. He kind of told me the story of Nephi and Lehi and his family. He said, you know, what happened if there was a family that came from Israel mm -hmm. to the American continents? And I said, well, you know, I never thought about it, but I have no issues with it. I don't see any problems with that. And he said, what about, you know, if there's a record? And I said, I think that would be kind of cool. And so he's telling me this as we're taking a coffee break. He's smoking a cigarette and drinking coffee at the same time. <laughs> and again, I had no preconceived notions about what a member was, so right. this did not affect me in any way. I didn't find out until afterwards, well, <laughs> he wasn't quite living the word of wisdom. Uh -huh. In fact, well, I won't mention what else he showed <laughs> me anyways. But um, so he kind of introduced me to that. Once I got done with my training, um, I was stationed in Great Lakes. So I was going from San Diego to Great Lakes. At that time, boot camp was in San Diego. I grew up in Minnesota. Okay. And the boot camp options at that time were Florida, Great Lakes, or San Diego. And I said, I grew up in Minnesota. I don't want anything to do with Great Lakes. Send me somewhere warm. <laughs> so they sent me to San Diego. But then when I finished my training, they sent me to Great Lakes. I guess that's my punishment. <laughs> but looking back, I can see the Lord's hand in this because when I re was going to Great Lakes... I stopped in Minnesota where I grew up, and there was a member of the church there who was a high school friend of mine, and she introduced me to the church and to missionaries. Okay. And so my conversion, my, my, my baptism story was that I would go from Great Lakes to southern Minnesota. I grew up in the Rochester area, mm -hmm. and I would go on weekends, and I would take the discussions. And then I ended up getting baptized in Rochester. Mm -hmm. And then I started attending church in the Chicago area around Great Lakes. And the first ward that I went to was a gurney ward in, in there. Mm -hmm. There was a large, a good-sized single adult group at the Navy base, other sailors are, that were there as well. Mm -hmm. So I was able to start um, interacting with them. We this was at, at a time where they were doing regional conferences. Okay, And so I was baptized in... July of 1979, and um, shortly afterwards, there was a regional conference in Madison, Wisconsin, so I was able to go with a group of young single adults, all my same age, a bunch of guys. We yeah. Navy gave us a van to go there for a religious conference. Cool. Yeah, it was cool. We all stayed in one room. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's about right. But it was my first experience with that. Mm -hmm. And then after that, so that was in like August, I believe, in 1979. The first general conference that happened during that time, mm -hmm. I flew out with a friend from the Navy base as well. We flew out. I was able to go to general conference oh, cool. that first time. Yeah. So these were all experiences that I had. Uh -huh. And it just started to, I, the Book of Mormon, just when I was told about it, mm -hmm. Petty Officer McDonald told me about it. It just rang true to me. And when I actually read it, mm -hmm. it's like there's nothing in here that is negates what's in the New Testament right. or the Old Testament. It just adds so much more mm -hmm. 
depth to your knowledge about the Savior. Right. So, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. So that's Navy great. Navy was my pathway to mm-hmm. the church, and I it, there are some there were some time frame incidents where I. I could see afterwards the Lord direct me in that pattern, mm-hmm. in that way, and and put me in the right place at the right time. That's very cool. And so I'm guessing that as a young man, you did not serve a mission. I did not serve a mission. You met your wife and had a few kids. A few kids. Yes, we had a few kids. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, there is... So I was... Um, Marsh and I met um, the first... The first calling that I had, the first job that I had in the church, I was the young men's secretary. Okay. And so they th- this position was something that I had no clue what I was doing. But I remember they had at that time, they had a prayer meeting before they had the opening exercises for the youth and stuff like that. Back in the olden days. Back in the yeah, olden days. Yeah. And um, so we were in a what was used as a nursery. So there was a toy box. I was sitting on the toy box and this vivacious young woman comes in and sits next to me and there's a car there. And she says, she hands me this car and says, don't tell me, I, you know, I, I never give you anything. I said, well, thank you very much. This is the first time you met her. Yeah. Yeah. I'd seen her mom was the, the young adult Sunday school teacher. Okay. And, um, and so while in that class, occasionally Marsha would come in and sit in in the class. So okay. I really didn't know her age or anything like You'd that. You'd seen her, but you hadn't really. Yeah, yeah, I'd seen her and things like that. Okay. Um, th- th- in 1979, um, her family went out west to Utah to visit family. Their son was out in, at BYU and stuff. And so her mom, who really liked me, <laughs> said, good. yeah, yeah, it was very good. And so her mom asked me to house at the house, and it was okay. We brought the single adults here. We had Christmas there and all that oh, sort fun. of stuff. It was very fun. Marsha had no clue who I was. <laughs> she had no clue who I was. And so I at one, so they, they released me as a young men's secretary, and then they called me as a single adult rep. Mm-hmm. Well, it, a lot of people in their mindset is a single adult rep, their first and foremost job is to get married, right? And uh, so... Yeah. I didn't, you know, that wasn't in my mind, but at one point, Marsha, she graduated from high school um, in December. She graduated early. So kind of tell you I'm robbing the cradle here, right? Um, but she had told me she had a missionary she was sending off to serve in a mission. And she said, you need, as a single adult rep, my job was to keep her occupied and busy while her she waited for her okay. missionary. <laughs> And so I ended up, I, I talked to a good friend of mine whose name was Peter Titus and his wife, Kathy. And Peter said, are they engaged? Are they married? No, he said. She's fair game. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so I called her up. I was on duty one night. I called her up and said, you know, um, this is Jeff. And, you know, would you like to go out on a date with me on Friday night? And she's thinking, Jeff, Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, who, and, and, and fortunately her mom was near her. So this is old landlines, no cell phones, right. nothing like that. Old landlines. And her mom asked, well, who is it, honey? And and she goes, Jeff French. Oh, Jeff French. <laughs> and so I asked her out and Marsha's talking to her mom and says, 
Mom, am I busy on Friday night? She's <laughs> nodding her head to her mom. And when her mom found out it was Jeff French, she goes, no, you're not, you're not busy at all on Friday night. And she said, well, let me go ask my dad. <laughs> at which point I said, you know, that's okay. And she, and she felt bad about it. And she said, sure, we can go out on a date on Friday night. And uh, so when I went to pick her up, she had a punk brother by the name of Max, mm-hmm. who she loves really a whole lot now. Back then, <laughs> water, water and oil. Right. Um, so when, when I went to pick her up, it was a double date. And she came down from her previous date. She just got right. back. From, yeah, she just gotten back from her previous date. And Max comes up to me and says, you might want to have her change her clothes. <laughs> I said, so, okay, we're going dancing. You might want to change your clothes, put on something nice. Mm. <laughs> yeah, she thought I was an arrogant <laughs> idiot. And so she went and changed her clothes. Um, we went dancing. And so this is really her first time. We went to Wisconsin. Uh, the drinking age was there the less we could go ahead and get into a bar where we were going to go dancing. You have to remember, I... I, I, well, I, you can't remember. You don't know. <laughs> I, I grew up in a small town, and for us, of 200 people, mm. and we had in our town two bars, three churches. The churches one, the three churches to two by bars. One. Yeah, by one. <laughs> but we used to hang out in the bars and play games and things like that. So it was familiar to me. It wasn't familiar at all to Marsha. Right. And so it wasn't a very good first impression on the date. We walked into the bar. There was somebody puking on the side right Mm -hmm. there. And uh, we went. We had a great time. The couple we were with were making out in the back seat the entire time on the way back. Marsha's going, what am I getting into? (laughs) Um, But she agreed to go out the next day. We went to, um, we auditioned for a steak play at the Walmart Steak Center. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, she's agreed to pick me up. She was a half hour late. I was waiting outside freezing to death. <laughs> and, um, but she finally showed up. We went audition and the night later that night we went to a movie. And so for the next like 14 days, we were always together. Wow. Yeah. And so, so we she remembered who you were after. That yeah. Yeah. Day. She did. She did remember <laughs> who I was after that. Um, and, and so it was, it, some people within, um, there is a mindset there's probably still a mindset to some extent. And as a dad, I can understand that mm-hmm. is you want your child to marry somebody who has come back from a mission. Right. You know, and so you have a bar where you can say, okay, this person has met that bar. Mm-hmm. Um, they've served a mission. And, you know, hopefully the, then from that point on, they'll have a good life together. Right. So Marsha thought that that's who she would. I was not a return missionary. I was a Navy guy. In fact, I had four more years in the Navy to go. Mm. And um, so it was a struggle. I mean, we dated, we were engaged, and we got married the year after. So she officially graduated from high school. She gra- finished high school in December of 79. She officially graduated in 80. She went to BYU. She got engaged to a couple of fellows out there, broke <laughs> broke them off. She came nice. back in December of um, 80, and we got married in April 81. Nice. So, yeah, and we've had four kids, and actually tomorrow's our anniversary. Well, happy anniversary. Thank you. 41 years wow. tomorrow. So. In a row. In a row. That's in right. Person. <laughs> in person. And she still remembers my name. That's so, good. That's yes. always important. Yes. So um, there are a couple of things that I want to I want to get to at some point, but talk about your... So you were in the Chicago area. I know you moved here from the Chicago area. You've been here for how long? So we moved here in 1998. 
Okay. And so we've been here for 24 years now. That's a long time. Yeah. So you've been in a couple different stakes. So we, <laughs> the same house, different that's stakes. Right. That's different right. Stakes. Yeah. It's it it's been it's been. It was a good move here. Um, the reason why we moved here was because of family and mm-hmm. cancer. Right. Uh, and so we've, uh, the kids, when we moved here, our oldest was a junior in high school. Our oldest daughter was a sophomore. She finally forgave us about three years ago for movie down here from <laughs> Chicago. And, uh, yeah, so, and she's, she's going to be 39 this year. So, you know, three years ago, it's been a while, but she's finally forgiven us for that. But it, it, it's been a good move for us because... Uh, they've developed a lot of friends. The kids did. The cost of living here in Indiana is a lot cheaper. Oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> so much better. And uh, we've developed and we've had great friendships over the years. F- fantastic. You know, the Williams family was here when they're, we got here. They're amazing. I yeah, they're, they're absolutely amazing. It's that wife. Well, uh, keep, keep, Williams, she's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Williams, different story. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's we've we've been in the same house. Mm-hmm. When we moved here, we thought we were moving into possibly the Carmel Ward because you know Joe Andrade, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Joe used to live in our ward. Oh, okay. And so Joe used to travel a lot for work. Mm-hmm. And when we moved down here, we found out he was here. He was a bishop of the Carmel Ward at yeah. the time. When we told people back in Lake Forest that Joe, Joe Andrade was a bishop there, Joe's active. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, Joe just traveled a lot for right. work and business and stuff like that. But when he came here, we had dinner with he and his wife, Sharon. And Joe told us at that time, he said, the secret of Indianapolis is people move here mm-hmm. and they love it and, and they, they don't stay. move away. Yeah, they right. stay. And that's absolutely true. We moved here. We thought we were moving into Joe's ward, mm-hmm. uh, the Carmel ward at that time. We moved into Fisher's. And we found out we were in the Muncie State. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So the Muncie. Now, let, let me see if I can paint a picture. We live in Fishers, and there is a church building here, which is unique in in the Midwest. Right. And we live within a, a mile. Yeah, of the you're ch- a mile away. Mile away, and that's the closest we've ever lived to an LDS church chapel. And it's a stake center. And it's, it's a stake center. It's a, a stake center. And uh, when we got here, we found out that's not your steak center. Your steak center's in Muncie, which is 45, 45 minutes away. <laughs> so, so yeah, so we've we've been in the Muncie steak, the Indian North steak, and now the Fisher's Fisher steak. steak. Yeah. And we've been in the Fisher's ward, Fisher's first ward, and now the, the Fisher's, Fisher's second ward. ward. Yeah. yeah. So we've... But we've always lived in the same house. Yeah, so we're in the same in the the same boat where we um and we have been here a few, uh, a few years longer than you. But so we were in the North Stake before it turned into the Muncie Stake, mm-hmm. and then we came back to the. You North didn't Stake. come back. You've always well, stayed we've here. Been in the same house. We're in the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah, same story. But something that you said, I want to I want to touch on a little bit, and um, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, you talked about you moved here because of cancer. And mm-hmm. I know you've got a family history of cancer. You personally have a history with cancer. Yes. So um, Jeff had a a uh, pretty decent scare with cancer uh, several years ago. It's been it's been uh, t- in nineteen years, two thousand three, right, right around twenty. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember hearing you talk, hearing you teach lessons uh, as you're going through that, and so I'm curious. 
uh, you can give kind of a summary of what, what happened, but um, what is something that that experience taught you about eternal truths of the gospel? So when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed with melanoma, third stage, 3B is what they call it. At that time, melanoma, there was a lot of um, people who died from it. Mm -hmm. I mean, people think of skin cancer, they think of skin tags and stuff like that. That's good if you could catch it there. Right. But um, in my case, they did not know where the cancer originated from. I had young kids at that time. My youngest was Brig, and Brig was, oh, he was 13, 14. He was just, he was in high school, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in high school, maybe a freshman in high school, something like that. So um, it, it was, it was, it led to a lot of conversations with Marsha late at night. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it it led to reevaluating what things were important, are important in your life, and what your faith is. And so, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints teaches things that I always kind of thought in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And that's the things. A lot of people who are not of our faith, they have kind of the same thoughts. You know, they think of heaven, what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to, you know, I've lived a good life. I'm going to a certain place. Right. But it's not really seen in their doctrine. There's nothing specific that talks about that. In our faith, I remember talking to the young men, young women, because at that time I was a young men's president. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to them and talking about Doctrine and Covenants, Section 138. I think that's a vision that they had of the afterlife and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And it all just, those teachings ring true that family, we, a lot of people think, well, family will be a continuation on. Yes, there's that possibility. Mm -hmm. But our church teaches, the doctrine teaches that that is a real possibility. And you can be with your wife Forever. Right. And so that's something that Marsha has grown on me for the last 41 years. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. And I've grown on her, I think. And so we just, we enjoy each other's companionship and the idea of being able to be together forever. Mm-hmm. Some people that might be scary too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you talk to somebody, somebody, is, you talk to somebody who's married and say, well, why would I want to be with them forever? <laughs> It's hard enough to get through the day, but it is something if you grow closer together and work out things, um, yeah, there's arguments, there's discussions, there's differences of of way you raise kids in some cases like that. There's in-law issues. Oh, my gosh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, in-law issues and all these things, and it's, it's the family that, you know, you grow closer together. And I just remember... Um, those talks late at night with Marsh and going over so many different things, what our thoughts were and, and, you know, what things might happen and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, Sid Norton, Sid Norton, I mm-hmm. think when he was diagnosed with cancer, that's yeah. one of the things I mentioned to him, you know, how are those late night conversations going? He said they were going, you know, it's something that he and Tracy kept him up at night right. talking about, you know, this is a reality that's coming. That's And because that's, it becomes real. Yes. That there's, during your your uh, earlier years, 
it's really easy to to think, yeah, I, I believe in this plan of salvation, but then it becomes I and the the one lesson that I remember specifically, uh, you just reiterated that this is real. This mm. plan is real, and you you bore your testimony of it. I know that it's true, and so I think that sometimes when we are faced with something scary like that, that is that where we're confronting our mortality. Um, yeah, it becomes <laughs> it, it becomes real. It becomes very real. I, I think, you know, we all have two things in common. Mm-hmm. We're all born. We're all going to die. Right. Everything in between, that's, you know, how you live your life and things to that extent. But how you face death, I think that's, that is something that, that sometimes can, can break a family. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can break a family. It's really interesting. The reason why we moved here was our... our niece had been diagnosed with breast cancer. She was 27 years old and uh, they had caught it late. And so it was terminal in her case. And she had three young kids. So we came down here to help with the kids and stuff. Well, when we came down here, um, her mom, who had been in remission for breast cancer, her breast cancer came back. Hmm. And and it was... um, and it took her before it took her daughter. So in 1999, Sheila passed away. And a year later, almost a year to the month, um, Gina passed away, both mom and daughter mm-hmm. from breast cancer. I look back at that and I see th- there might have been a reason why that happened. Mm-hmm. Gina was 27 year old. Facing your mortality at 27 year old? Wow. That, that's tough. Yeah. Uh, especially with, with three kids. Three kids. You didn't say anything about turning off the phone before. I came. That's right. This Sorry. is live. Sorry about that. That's all right. So, um, but I I look back at that and I say that it's it's likely that happened in order for her mom to show her how to die. Interesting. Because Gina was a Gina was a rebellious kid. Mm-hmm. She was a rebellious kid, and she just she had a mind of her own and things like that. But her mom, when her mom passed away, I think that gave, it softened Gina, Hmm. and she was able to see how to do that. You don't ever think about having someone, well, show me how to die. Right. But I think in that case, her mom showed and demonstrated, you know, this is, we're all going to go through this step. Mm -hmm. This is how I'm going through it. You can make your own way through it as well. But Gina did a... You know, she she got her life in order. Good. Before that, um, she'd gone back to the temple. In fact, she she got married her to her um, ex husband. So they okay. they remarried at that time, and so I think that um, it's it's it is an interesting life, and it is real. It mm-hmm. is very real. So and and I wasn't thinking about this, but um, I it just hit me that um, I. I want to hear your thoughts about, uh, and I'm not quite sure how I want to form the question, but uh, I think I'll just ask very similar to what I asked about your experience with cancer, but your son, Josh, mm-hmm. who just passed away last, was it last month um, or a month before? March 4th. March was, 4th, so yeah. a month. Yeah, almost two months Almost two months ago. Yeah. So what experience, what did, what did you learn from that experience, having had your own um, really, it was a miraculous recovery, mm-hmm. and then watching your son who fought cancer 
multiple times. Right. Um, Josh was a fighter, mm-hmm. and he he was diagnosed in November of 2020 with acute myeloid leukemia. Mm-hmm. If you take a look at the statistics with acute myeloid leukemia, the odds are not very good. Right. They're like 20%. And that's even after years and years of cancer advancement, things with mm-hmm. the new drugs and stuff like that that they have. And um, he fought it. He went through several, several rounds of chemotherapy. And he was, in fact, at one point he had a sibling who donated stem cells. Mm-hmm. And Josh actually went into remission for about four or five months. Mm-hmm. It gave him a little bit more of an extension of life. Right. And, um, and then he ended up, it, cancer came back in November. Mm-hmm. He went into the hospital. He ended up going to um, MD Anderson in Houston. Mm-hmm. He was originally working through LDS Hospital in Salt Lake City. Right. He lived in Salt Lake. Right? He lived in the Salt Lake area. He lived in Springville, south okay. of Provo. Uh, he was, um, he went, I don't know how many rounds of chemo he went through. He went through a ton of rounds of chemo. Mm-hmm. And at the end, um, he was fighting as hard as he could. But it was, it was kind of nice. The um, He knew the end was coming. Mm-hmm. And Marsha was down there for three and a half weeks at the hospital. And his sister Brianna ended up going down there and was in the area when he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh was comfortable with with what was going on. Mm-hmm. He he has a family, mm-hmm. and his concern was with his family. And I think that's a lot of that. That's his focus was in the right place. Mm-hmm. I think he was comfortable where he was going. He was scared. He was absolutely scared. He was 40 years old. He just turned 40 years old. Yeah. Um, We knew that Josh might have been predisposed for cancer Mm. because of of his, he had a a physical anomaly. He was, had Kleinsfelter syndrome, Mm -hmm. which makes him susceptible to cancer. And one of those cancers is leukemia. Brig found out about Mm -hmm. it. It's leukemia. They had told us when, the doctors t- talked to Josh when he was diagnosed with Klein's filters that he had to worry about prostate in his 40s. Oh, wow. And, and then Brig found out leukemia was also one of those that he might be susceptible to. So he, he worked hard. He, he fought hard. Mm-hmm. He's a pa- he was a passionate, is a passionate guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he loves his family tremendously. He, yeah. he ended up marrying a woman in Kershme, Amele, Atisba, uh, about three years ago, three or four years ago. He's got three wonderful stepchildren, mm-hmm. Sam, Aaron, and Kiana, and Kiana's husband, Simote. Uh, he absolutely loved them. Yeah. And um, I think he was comfortable. He's comfortable with the promises that come with living afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think his mind's eye was on at that point. You know, we're all going to cross that veil. Mm-hmm. And I think he knew what was going to happen on the other side. That's true. That's, uh, and, and I, I like the, um, the idea that 
when, when those challenges come, that we can really take the, the lessons of the gospel and, and realize that they are real. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times, you know, somebody who hasn't had some of those challenges, we may, th- we may think we believe it, but when it, <laughs> the rubber meets the road, do I believe? Do I believe that this is really what's going to happen? And I think that can get, um, that can be really scary. It is. It is. It, what do you, what are you firm in your belief? I think that those who don't have a belief, it's mm-hmm. going to be very scary. Yeah. Uh, we have, you know, we know of people that once you die, you die. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. And one of the things that led up, I mentioned to you about talking with Petty Officer McDonald, but at that time I was also looking into experiences of people who had near-death experiences. Mm. And, you know, somebody who has a near-death experience, it's really interesting to see how close that correlates with what the LDS doctrine is because some of that just kind of fits right in and you go, right. yeah. Brett Top, who is a LDS professor at BYU, I don't know if he's still there or not, but he wrote a book, he and his wife wrote a book called What's on the Other Side, mm-hmm. and he talks about some of those experiences and he goes back to through what prophets have said and also some other people not of our faith who have had similar experiences. So that's kind of a little bit more background on my story as well. Yeah. But this also has firmed my faith, realizing that, yeah, you know what? At some point, I've been blessed to have survived 19 years from cancer. Mm-hmm. In talking to an oncologist, he said, "Oncologist, he said that yeah, when it comes back, it's probably going to come back with a furry fury." Mm-hmm. And I, okay, yeah, I can deal with that. Right. So I'm, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. I realize that at some point I'm going to cross that veil, you know. And I right. hope that when I do so, that what I have left behind and what people will then look forward to when mm-hmm. they cross a veil, I hope to be there and welcome them with open arms as I hoping my son Josh will be right. when I come across. And that's such a, a, a beautiful image of, mm-hmm. of, and I, one of the things that you said that I just really, um, I like the idea you talked about how you're, um, there, there may be people put in our paths to, to teach us mm-hmm. how to die. And um, this is a, a positive, upbeat <laughs> conversation for our first podcast. I do want to wrap things up. Um, you served a mission in the Philippines. You served yes. a mission in South Africa. Um, share, if you would, just as we as we wrap up, share your testimony and how some of those experiences, certainly mission experiences, I know you had some really mm-hmm. unique mission experiences, but how, how some of those have shaped your testimony. So I do not need to see miracles for my faith to be true in what, what I've experienced, but I did see miracles on missions. Okay. I've seen my, my wife is, is a therapist mm-hmm. and that's, what she did in her role as a missionary is to help younger missionaries cope in different countries. Mm-hmm. To see the Lord's hand in directing this work, I am just amazed. 
I wondered when I was investigating the church, why isn't the Lord talking to us now? Mm-hmm. 41 years later, I'm saying 40, 42 years, 43 years later, the Lord's very active in this church. He's, he's very active as to what's going on. He loves his children. He wants, he's there to help us in any manner. We just have to seek him, to reach for him. Mm-hmm. And really closing really fast. I love this story of Peter. Mm-hmm. I love the story of Peter when, when the Savior comes walking on the water. And Peter has enough faith. You know, Peter, Peter, People dump on Peter because of what happened, but that's another story for another time. But Peter ends up walking on water. So there's actually two people in the world who have actually walked on water. Mm-hmm. One was the Savior and one was Peter. Well, right. P- Peter ended up, the winds were boisterous, the waves were crashing. Peter ended up having lacked a little bit of faith, mm-hmm. but he didn't lack perspective because when that happened, he said, Lord, save me. Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing. The second thing is the Lord was within reaching distance. Right. The Lord just reached out his hand and pulled him up. Mm -hmm. So how close was Peter? Peter was close enough for the Lord just to reach out. And the Lord recognized he couldn't do it all by himself. He needed the Lord to do that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't do everything by myself. The Lord blessed me with these extra 19 years of life. I don't know how many more that I have. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long I'm going to be the bishop's wingman as the executive secretary. <laughs> right. uh, I'm excited for the technology that you're doing right now because I think this will be very helpful for people who are interested in so many different things. We, right. we are such a diverse group. True. And we have so many skills and talents to work with. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, I, I've known you for the 28 years. Is that what you said you've been here? 24 years. 24 years. Okay, yep. so maybe 28 is how long I've been here. <laughs> <laughs> maybe my age is just getting to me. Yeah, yep. Um, but there are things that I just didn't know about you. And so hearing your story was fun for me. Oh, good. And so um, thank you for being the... Um, Kitty pig? <laughs> I loved it. It was fun. Thanks it was for a... being the, the first the first guest. Um, I had a great time too, and yeah. I think that this is there's. Um, I just think this is a great way to get to know people in the ward. I I agree. And somebody moves in, and we can easily tell them, "Hey, you want to meet your bishop?" That's episode. Yep. Three or whatever. Yep. No pressure, bishop. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just talk to you. Get get him on the, on the schedule. That's right. That's right. I am his guy. Yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. We'll go so, ahead and make that happen. We'll set something up. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Share with somebody that, uh, that you think would be um, interested and inspired, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fisher Second Ward podcast. Please share it with members of the ward or others who you think might be interested or might be enriched and blessed by listening to our stories. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.